Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Amen. Amen. Church, you're here today. Like you made it. Nywa Campus, good to have you this morning. And uh, Fred Campus, good to have you join us live. I woke up this morning, looked at it, and it was like negative seven, felt like negative 382, you know? I mean, it was cold out there today. So you guys are the warriors, the extra spiritual ones. Everybody else online, good to have you in your pajamas today. So it's, it's all good um, with that. Hey, Amanda said, Matt said, we're in a series on the book of John and, and we are super excited about it. Glad that you're here. If you're new and joined us for this series, um, Jesus, who is he? Um, we're super glad that, that you've come because we just want to track with Jesus, understand who he is, from January all the way through to Easter and wrap up with the resurrection. And I think it's going to be incredibly fun. Matt did a great job um, launching off last week, talked about just a deeper picture of what John chapter one, the first part, part of that just gives of Jesus, that he was the word, the full essence of God. And we're going to continue in John chapter one, verse 29. I want you to get there in just a second. But it's interesting, Robert Withnow is a leading sociologist, works at Princeton University, studies religion. He's wrote a new book and he, he writes about this idea. He says in his book, he says, the mantra of Americans is this, that I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Meaning that Americans are saying today, no matter what age, they're saying, I'm looking for a new spirituality, but I'm just not sure. I just don't think I'm gonna find what I'm looking for in a traditional religious institution, meaning a church. They're also saying, he goes on to say, that Americans are saying that they're rejecting this idea, this secular idea that meaning can be found in science and philosophy or reason. So they're saying on one hand, I I am really spiritually curious. On the other hand, they're saying, but I don't know if I think that what I'm gonna find, what I'm looking for is actually in a church or, or in a Bible study, but they're also even going further and saying, I don't think it's gonna be in some scientific idea I don't think it's going to be in some philosophical like idea what I'm looking for. I just don't really know where to find it. I'm searching for this new spirituality. It's interesting. The book of John offers something more than a new spirituality or a traditional religion. Like the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them offer us something different. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day, John the Baptist, John, saw Jesus coming, he's talking about John the Baptist, toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. Now stop right there for a second, because this could get confusing in a few moments. Like we're talking about John the Baptist here. Now John the writer, one of Jesus' disciples, future, is writing about John. So it's John the apostle is writing about John the Baptist, two different guys. Who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. There was a prophecy in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 40 and Malachi chapter 3 that said there there would be a, a prophet that would come, that he would come out of the desert, which John did, 
and says that he would begin to teach and he began to preach to the people about the coming Messiah. It says that he would prepare the way for the Lord, and John did. John was Jesus' cousin, grew up with Jesus, probably knew him fairly. They lived in different areas. But he began to teach and to preach that there was a Messiah, an anointed one that had been prophesied for 700 years from Isaiah the prophet, that he would come and he would be the one that would save the people. And so John came and he began to baptize and he began to teach and he began to teach the people that a religious shift was coming. No longer would you relate to God just by observing rules and obeying rules. You would relate to God by having an actual relationship, a connection with the creator. It goes on in verse 32 and it says, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have testified that this is God's chosen one. The book of John, just like the other gospels, offers more than a traditional rules-based religion a way to connect with God through obeying him. And it also offers more than a new spiritual idea. You see, the gospel of John offers to us an interaction, a connection with a real life person that we can actually know. And that's the whole story of the, of the gospels. John writes, he talks about John the Baptist and John says, I saw a man. Like he literally uses, he doesn't say I saw God. He says, I saw a man. And then he goes on to describe, and he says, not just any man, I saw a man who has surpassed me because he was before me. John had an understanding that Jesus was something supernatural, spiritual. He was the expression of God. John chapter one, going back to the author, John. John writes all throughout chapter one, and he gives titles for Jesus. There's as many as eight, maybe more. He starts off in verse one, Matt used it last week. He said, he is the logos, the word. In Greek, that means the, the pure representation, the essence of God communicated to man. In verse one, he also just plainly states it and says he is God. The word became flesh, he, he was God. In verse four, it says he was life. In verse seven, he is light. In verse 16, he is fullness, meaning the full representation of God in human form. In verse 17, he says the Messiah or the anointed one prophesied by the prophets. In verse 23, he is Lord. In verse 29, he is the Lamb of God, meaning the sacrificial lamb, the once and for all sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world by his shed blood. And in verse 34, he is the chosen one. You see, John was communicating the genius of God here. John is saying, I, I, I just imagine God sitting up in heaven and saying, how do we show them? Like these people that we've created, like how do we show them? They've sinned, they've messed up. How do we show them how much we love them? How do we show them who we are, the essence of who we are, and how they can be saved? And it's, aha, what if we became one of them? And understand, in, in Jewish culture, this was like mind-blowing. It's no wonder they missed who Jesus was because in their culture, in their philosophy, even in Greek philosophy, the gods were separated from the people. There was no like physical or relational warmth or connection between the gods and people. There was a separation, even for Jewish people. They had given, been given the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament. 
They had been given the Psalms and the prophets to be able to read about God, but there was no way in their mind they would ever have the opportunity to actually connect with a God that they could see, that they could touch, that they could talk to, that they could question, and they could understand. I mean, let's, let's put it in perspective for us for a second. This would be like the CEO, like the CEO of Apple or Microsoft or whatever huge company out there you can think of. It would be like the CEO putting on gloves and cleaning bathrooms. Like coming down to that level. It's like the president of the United States flying Southwest, like boarding group C, C-59, you know, that kind of thing, right? I mean, this is just mind blowing to them that, that God would actually come down and to connect with the people. And John says, I know it's hard to believe, but I saw it repeatedly in the book of John, especially in the first chapter, he writes about John the Baptist saying, I saw it. Last week, Matt explained that word in the Greek. It means I studied it. It means that, and it means more. It means that I not only studied it, I studied it to the point that I believe it, that it is true. This is evidence admissible in court. John even writes this way. He doesn't write in fictional terms. He writes in historical, factual terms. Like he says, early in the morning, the next day, he gives celebrations to give dates and times. He talks about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. He, he just continually gives facts to say, guys, it's harder to believe, but I saw it, and not I saw it, I saw him. And the beautiful thing about the Gospels is that John writes, and what he's saying is, I saw him, and because I saw him and I recorded this, you can see him. Like you can actually come and see who Jesus is and experience the man, God's genius of saying, I'm gonna simplify myself by coming to earth and becoming a man just like them. I'm gonna become one of them so they can understand me, they can see me, they can question me, they can be with me. They can understand who I am because I am a person just like them. And John says, you can know him because I have written him down in practical terms that you can know the man. And you might look at that and say, well, how? Like, I understand that there's the Gospels, but how do I actually do that? John gives one simple term that's repeated four times. Four times in the book of John, but it's repeated three times in chapter one that just simplifies how we get to know the man, Jesus. The first invitation is this. John chapter one, verse 35, it says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. One of these disciples is actually John the writer. The other one is Andrew, it'll explain that later. It says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, there's the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, they were curious. They turning around, they, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? So these guys are following Jesus as he's just walking around daily life. And they're like stalking him a bit. You've had that before, like you're walking around, somebody sees you that you know, you don't realize it, but you just have this feeling. Somebody's watching you, Jesus had that feeling. So he turns around and he says, what do you want? And these guys are shocked, have no idea what to say. And so they're like, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? That's all they could come up with. And I love Jesus' response. In verse 39, he says, come and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Did you catch the phrase? The invitation from Jesus was a simple invitation to come and see. Like, think about this for a moment. If, 
If God was inviting us to know a philosophy, he probably would have said, you need to like read about or you need to listen to this great teacher. Like you need to read and you need to think. Come and read, come and think. But what God actually said was, I'm inviting you to come and understand a person. So the invitation was simple. It was to come and see. And Jesus invited these two guys, John, the writer of John, and we'll find out later it's Andrew. He invites him to come spend the day. And so they came and spent the day with him. They probably asked him questions and they observed how he talked and, and what he did and how he talked to the rest of the people that were following him at the time. And they began to understand who Jesus was. The invitation was a simple come and see. And the invitation is still the same for us. Like if you want to come and understand Jesus, what you have to do is simply come and see. And the interesting thing with the disciples that began to follow Jesus, at the very beginning, there was no belief required. Like for some of you, you may be sitting here right now, you may be sitting in the Frederick campus or sitting online, and you're watching and you're listening, and you're like, I don't know if I buy all of this. Jesus does not say, come and believe. He says, come and see. Come and ask your questions. Come and check me out. Come and see how I live. Come and see how I love. Come and see what I say. Come and see how I treat people. Just simply come and see. And it's interesting, that invitation for us, you ask the question, like, how do we come and see? Now, you can come and see on a Sunday morning. But the interesting thing about coming and seeing on a Sunday morning is it's once a week and it's just not enough. It's almost like the snack that you get mid-morning, you know? Like you grab that snack mid-morning and you're like starving and hungry and that snack satisfies you for about 37 minutes. And then you're ready for lunch because you just need more. That's what church is. Church on a Sunday morning, we dive into the book of John. It's good. It will help you, but it is not enough for you. Like what what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, come and see. And John writes and he's like, I have made it available for you to actually come and see Jesus through my eyes, through my eyewitness account. And Mark says the same and Matthew says the same and, and Luke says the same. They all have a little bit different bent about them. They tell the same stories, a little bit different perspective. So you can actually come and see Jesus. And so what John is saying is the best way that you could actually come and see is to come and observe. And to come and observe through scripture, to get out your Bible, not just on a Sunday morning, because on a Sunday morning, most of you actually look at a screen or check out your phone and read it on your phone. But he's saying, you should come and see through the words that I have written down in scripture. John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. I don't know when the last time was that you sat down outside of church, took your Bible and began to read and began to follow and began to connect and begin to think about your questions and begin to observe how Jesus treated people, what he said to people. But I'm telling you, John wrote down an account that makes Jesus come alive, that he will begin to show you and the Holy Spirit will begin to work through you to teach you if you are not in scripture, you are missing out on the opportunity to come and see who Jesus is. The second invitation is in verse 40. 
The second come and see invitation. It says in verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. Think about who this is. These are guys who are becoming, will become the disciples of Jesus. Peter, who will end up leading the church, is brought by his brother Andrew. It goes on, it says the next day, Jesus decided to leave from Galilee, finding Philip. So Philip was not involved in this crew that came to see Jesus, but as someone Jesus knew. It says, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael, a friend, and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Philip asked, or Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. See, if Christianity, again, was a philosophy, the way you would come to Christ is through a great teacher. But since Christianity is an encounter with a person, the main way that you usually find Jesus is through a friend. It's through someone else. You see, the second invitation of Jesus is not just to come and observe yourself through Scripture, but it's to come and observe Jesus with a friend. It's like to come find out with a friend because more often than not, think about it in your life, how many of you when you first met Jesus was because you just walked into church on your own? Or how many of you actually found Jesus because you were invited to come sit with somebody else and to find him, whether it be through a Bible study or a church service, how many of you would say, just raise your hand, somebody invited me? Yeah, most hands. Like the way we relationally find Jesus because he is a person is usually through a relationship with someone else. Now here's an interesting leadership fact. People will say that you are the sum total of your five closest friends. I don't know if you've heard that before, but a leadership principle and idea that you are the sum total of your five closest friends, what you believe, what you think, what you think about politics, what you think about religion, what you think about life and social issues, usually has to do with your, what your friends actually believe. They're that influential. Your leadership level is usually determined by the friendships that you have around you. So my question would be, when it comes to spiritual things, it is no different. What are the sum total, what's the sum total of the five closest spiritual friends you have? Are they lifting up the level of your understanding of who Jesus is? Because if you find Jesus with friends, you better have friends that are above you, spiritually. You want to have friends that are right alongside you spiritually. You even want to have friends that are below you spiritually that you're able to bring up and introduce to Jesus. But your spirituality, your understanding of Jesus will never eclipse the friendships that you have with people who know Jesus. And so the question is, is do you have just a seat that you fill on a Sunday morning or do you have a group of friends that you meet with and you connect with? It's the way Jesus did ministry. Peter ended up having 11 others that he just continually connected with and sure, Jesus was the teacher, but I, you know that he went back and say, said to his buddies like, what the heck did he just say? <laughs> and they began to process together and they began to think together. They held each other accountable together and then they lifted one another up 
together. You see, what will happen is if you just come to church on Sunday morning and that's the only spiritual experience you have and the only spiritual connection that you have with other friends lifting you up, you'll go home, you'll worship, you'll go home filled up. You'll feel joy, you'll feel excitement. You're like, man, that was great. But you'll go home without any idea to actually apply, how to actually apply what you learn on a Sunday morning. You see, what we need is we need gatherings of people that are outside of this room that are smaller gatherings where we begin to connect, whether it be in coffee shops or it be in homes, wherever it is, to be able to ask our questions and be able to process with each other our relationship with God and our spiritual journey with Jesus. That's why we've got a value around this place that says go together. Because we believe that we're better together, we understand Jesus better together, we follow Jesus better together. We're more accountable to living like Jesus when we are together. And so who's your five closest spiritual friends? And are they raising the level or are they lowering the level? The next come and see invitation actually comes in verse 46. It says, Philip found Nathaniel and he told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. It's interesting, you read that, it almost sounds like Nathaniel is, is, is pretty prejudiced against Nazareth. Like he's bashing the town of Nazareth, which he, which he actually is. <laughs> Nazareth in that time, it was not written about in, in any like foreign, non-religious like literature, it's not written about in scripture except for Jesus. It's not found in any of the writings of the day except for the biblical writings because Nazareth was one of the smallest towns. It was a no blink town. Like, like if you go to Nazareth today, you'll actually find a city. It sits up on top of a large granite plateau. You drive up this steep road to get to it. There's no water source. That's why like nobody lived there. Like nobody lived there. And so what Nathaniel's doing right here is he is bashing Nazareth, but he's also asking a question. I've got a 12 year old. 12 year olds ask a lot of questions. Luke, over the last couple of years, he's been like all of my other kids. At that age, you get this, if you've got kids or grandkids, they ask questions all the time. And I'm good with, I'm good with like intellectual questions. Like I'm good with smart questions. I'm not good with repeated questions, right? Like when I gave you the answer 12 seconds ago, don't ask me again, <laughs> right? I'm just not good with that. I, I'm not good with questions that have obvious answers. I mean, you get this. Like we're, the questions, they begin to drive you nuts. It didn't just drive me nuts. It drove my older two girls nuts, especially my 20-year-old. So at that time, it was her last year in the house. And I remember the moment at which Grace um, said, okay, Luke, that's a seven. And I was like, what are, what are you doing? That's a seven. She said, dad, we come up with a system because Luke asked all these ridiculous questions. So we've come up with a rating scale between one and 10. Seven and above get answers, all right? Six and below do not require an answer. I'm like, you are a genius. Why on the last kid did we figure this out, right? And, she, and so we started talking about this. I'm like, Grace, how'd you come up with this? And she's like, well, dad, here are the kind of questions I was getting. She says, my favorite was this, Grace, which car are we taking? The one we're literally sitting in, right? That was the answer. The, another question was, 
uh, Grace, which campus are we going to? And she looks around and she's like, the parking lot of the campus we're sitting in. I mean, do you get this? So here's what would happen in my house. Luke would ask a question and I would just hear, Luke, 2.5, no answer. Uh, Luke, 7, that, that's a great question. Here's an answer. And so my wife and I might just have more kids so we can have more, you know, 2.5, 7.5 questions. Nathaniel jumps in and his first question is a seven. He bashes on Nazareth, but what he's really asking is a question. How can this be? The prophet said that the Messiah would come not out of Nazareth, the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So there's no way that this is possible. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Man, it's not even supposed to come from Nazareth. It's supposed to come from Bethlehem. And I love, I love um, Philip's answer. He looks at Nathaniel and he doesn't say, how dare you question? He looks at him and says, come and see, I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you come and see and let's both ask him the question. See, the beautiful thing about God is God doesn't rate our questions. God knows we all have questions. Like modern day Nathaniel questions might be, did Jesus rise from the dead? Is the Bible actually true? How can God be good if he allows things like injustice, racism, and poverty? How can the church be good when so many Christian leaders abuse their power? And what does Jesus say to our questions? He says, just come and see. Like just come and ask your questions because I'm big enough to answer them. And when you'll come and observe scripture, you'll find some answers there. When you'll come and see together with other people, you'll find people who have been through the same experiences, the same difficulties that have some answers to your actual questions and say, I had that question too. And here's the answer that I've come to. You see, Jesus never rates our questions. He says, come and bring them to me. Come and bring them to me, a real person who's experienced everything that you've experienced. The difficulty in life, he says, I've experienced it and more. The questions in life, he said, yeah, I understand why you have those questions because I've seen this. I've seen what you've seen and I've seen more and I have an answer to your question. Jesus just says, come and see, walk with me, observe me, study me, get to know me and you will find the answers to your questions. Nathaniel's second question was a 10. In verse 47, it says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So Jesus sees him and he calls something out in Nathanael and Nathanael asks, here's the question. He says, how do you know me? That's a great question. Like, how, God, how do you know me? What do you know about me? How can you say, Nathanael says that here's an Israelite in which there's no deceit. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That's a good question. How do you know me? And Jesus' answer was, I saw you under the fig tree. What Jesus was really saying is, Nathanael, I know you because I created you. You see me plain as day. I'm standing here right in front of you, but understand, just like John the Baptist said, I am one who came before him. I've surpassed him because I am God. Nathaniel, I'm your creator. I know you. And there's no limit to what I know about you. There's no limit to, to how much I love you. 
There's no limit to how much I want to be there for you and take care of you. So I came just to prove that, to show you so you could see me, you could understand me, and you could, we could show up together and you can understand. Understand, there's no limit to what God understands about you. There's no limit to how much God loves you. And you should believe that because he came and he became one of us so that we could simplify who God is and we could know him. In verse 50 and 51, it's interesting. Jesus goes on, he says something that had to be totally confusing to Nathaniel, but it is the why. Like we understand that we can come and observe Jesus. We can come and see through observing him through scripture. We can come and see through, through being there with other people and having discussions and conversations. We can bring our questions to Jesus. We can come and see that way, but here's where he just flips the, the script and he says, and here's why. And Nathaniel's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus gets a little figurative and he says in verse 51, 50 and 51, he says, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And here it is. He added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Nathaniel's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but you saw me under the fig tree, so I guess I'll follow you. And Jesus was saying, Nathaniel, you have no idea the potential of what you might see if you come and follow me. Jesus uses a piece of scripture that goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 26. Jacob is out in the pasture. He's having a dream. And all of a sudden he, he wakes up and he sees a stairway to heaven. This is, this is what made Led Zeppelin famous, right? This vision. He sees a stairway from heaven. He sees the angels coming down and descending and ascending from heaven above. And it's like this link between heaven and earth. And what Jesus says in the moment to Nathaniel, he says, this many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years later, Understand, Nathaniel, that I am that living link. The reason you come and need to understand me, the reason you need to come and see and follow me is because you have no potential of what I can do of bringing heaven to earth into your life. And all it simply takes is for you to come and see. No belief required at the start. Because Jesus knows that he's big enough. He simplified himself enough that if you will just come and see, if you will come and see through scripture, if you will come and see with other people, if you will come and see and ask your questions, if you will come and see, you will be convinced. I have been convinced. Now, I still have questions. It doesn't mean that I don't have questions. But in my study, in my experience, in my constantly challenging, in my conversations with other people, in my experiences of seeing God being faithful, man, when I have just come and seen what Jesus has been willing to do, guys, I'm just telling you, my mind has been blown. And there may be some of you sitting there and saying, yeah, maybe that's for you, pastor, but it sounds a little too good to be true for me. There were a whole lot of people in the first century that had the attitude the man, this Jesus guy, wow, that's amazing. Some of the things he's teaching, that's, wow, that's, in, that's incredible. But it's too good to be true. And what they missed, what they missed was the opportunity to connect with the one that gave the potential for their entire life to be changed. 
for their mind to be blown, for their questions to be answered, for their eternity to be set because they disconnected with the one who created it all. In 2024, I think the best challenge that you could take, whether you're sitting right here at Niwot, you're sitting right there, Fred, you're watching online, wherever you are, the best challenge you could take this year is to come and see the person, not the philosophy, not the set of rules, but come and see the person that might just be able to explain it all to us. Last week, Matt talked about this idea that he's God. But it it should do something to you. It should prick your your curiosity. It It should do something to your heart to think that that God who is so big, who is so infinite, who is so powerful, who is so all knowing was willing to put the gloves on and to come down here and get dirty with us and just live with us so the people of his day could see him. So that some guys like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could write down everything they saw about him so that you and I could read, that we could experience, that the Holy Spirit could begin to shape and experience where we can actually today come and see Jesus. And the best thing you could do in 2024, starting off this year, is crack open your Bible, is find some people, start asking your questions and allow Jesus to answer them. Here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna pray for you right now. And then I want you to stick with me online. I want you to stick with me at the Frederick campus. Stick with me right here because I want to give you two opportunities to come and see. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending us Jesus. God, there's so many things that we ask you for, so many things that we desire. Father, I just pray that you would give just amongst all of those things, that you would just give us an experience with the living person of Jesus. Allow us this year and through this series to begin to walk with him, to see him, to allow him to answer our questions, allow us to ask our questions. Father, I pray that we will create some new friends as we begin to walk with them and this this journey to find Jesus. And then Father, I pray that through scripture, we would see something we have never seen before and we would be changed. So Father God, I pray that we will humble ourselves and we will take some steps to get to know you so we can actually know ourselves. Father, for the people who need prayer today, I pray they will come up after service at at both campuses with our prayer team and be encouraged. And Father, I also pray that there will be some people that will take some steps to to get to know you better as we start off this year. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.